I found a quote that I've been wanting to share for some time but never really found an appropriate place to do it. So it's completely out of context, but I just want to <laughs> share it. It's from Pope John the 23rd, which I don't know which pope that is. <laughs> but he says, it often happens that I awake at night and begin to think about some serious problem and decide I must tell the Pope about it. Then I wake up completely and I remember that I am the Pope. (laughs) The reason I I wanted to mention it is because sometimes that's how I feel here on retreat. I think, oh, I'll go down and listen to the Dharma talk and then I remember I'm the one giving the Dharma talk. So, you know, those few those moments of um, disorientation occur sometimes. <laughs> so, it actually isn't probably so much out of context because the, the title of the talk this evening is Untying the Knot of Me. So, for different reasons, all of us here have found our way on a spiritual journey, we can say that we're walking that path of a spiritual journey. And this path asks us to turn within, to look at ourselves quite deeply, and to really look at our existence. And what we find in doing that is this tremendous capacity for awareness. We find that we have this, this gift that I've been speaking of to be able to reflect back on ourselves, to look back on ourselves and to see what we're doing, how we're thinking, how we're feeling, what's happening within us. And we're really the only species that has this tool of awareness, the ability to reflect back on itself. And it's a great gift because it's with this gift that there's some potential for awakening and liberation from the dilemma that we find ourselves in. But in using this tool of awareness, when we sit in meditation, what we also discover is the opposite, which is that sometimes we find that we haven't been aware at all. And it's in that moment of re-emerging or reconnecting with ourselves, the returning back, that we actually discover that we've been lost, that we haven't been aware at all, that we've been caught up in our thoughts and our feelings, bound up in our stories and our dramas and our daydreams. And we call this the process of identification, when we're lost, when we're bound up, when we forget, we say we're identified. We're identified with those thoughts and those feelings as me. We believe that this is who I am at those times. And this identification is what reinforces this idea of me this solid, separate entity that's separate from everything else. We believe in this 
we believe in this thought, in this belief that we are separate from everything else. And this reinforces the dualistic view. Many times when people reflect on this, how, how we get caught, how we get bound up in this belief of being separate, this alienated, fragmented being over here, they want some kind of answer. Well, how, this, how come this happens? Why do I get stuck? Why do I get caught up? And the Buddha actually said that this is one of the questions that can't be answered. It's unfathomable. It's considered one of the four unfathomables. How did this all begin? How did we get ourselves in this predicament to begin with? She said, if you try to answer that question, you're going to drive yourself crazy, so don't even bother trying to answer it. You may be wondering what the other three unfathomables are, (laughs) since that's only one of them. So the four four unfathomables, just for your information, one is to understand the mind of a Buddha. There's no way to understand the mind of a Buddha until we become a Buddha. Another one is the power of a highly concentrated mind. We can't understand the power of a highly concentrated mind unless we have one. The third being the beginning of existence. How did we get ourselves in this mess to begin with? <laughs> Which is always why, what people want to understand. And the fourth is to understand the law of karma, the law of cause and effect. Why things happen the way they happen. Why events unfold the way they unfold. Can't find out. (laughs) These are the the four unfathomables. So we put that question aside, like, well, why? Why do we get identified? Because we can't answer that question. What we do is we say, okay, this is our predicament. Now, how do we untie this knot? How do we untie this knot of this belief of being a separate me? This me, this I, that seems to cause us so much trouble because we believe in it. When we look closely at our experience, we can see the three characteristics of existence that I was talking about last night. That everything is changing, everything has a changing nature. And because it's always changing, it has no lasting satisfaction. It's dukkha, it's unreliable. Nothing's fixed, nothing's solid. And so therefore, we see that not even this is solid or fixed. And if we incline the mind these three characteristics, if we can really just keep inclining to see the change and the unreliability and the insubstantiality of things, if we do this again and again and again, this construction that's held together by these thoughts and feelings, the identification with these thoughts and feelings, 
then that construction begins to weaken. It begins to loosen because we then see that everything in the mind and the body is a changing process. That there really is no one behind it to whom it is all happening. For example, when we take the emotions, we look at the emotions, we feel, we may feel anger, we may feel some anger. And rather than saying, this is my anger, this is who I am, I'm an angry person, this is my anger, we can see from a different perspective that anger is just angry. Anger has the nature to act out in certain ways. Everybody who gets angry acts exactly the same way. The heart speeds up, the blood pressure raises, the fists tighten, the body contracts, the face gets red. This is the nature of anger. It's not my anger. I'm not doing that. This anger fills the body and has this kind of manifestation. It's the same in everybody. When fear comes into the body, we, we say that it's my fear, I'm afraid. But fear acts the same in every person. It has the nature to block. It has the function to contract, to hold back. Fear is afraid. It has that characteristic. It's not my fear, it's fear coming into this mind-body organism. Sadness. The face gets warm, tears may start to come, the throat gets tight, and we cry. It's the same in everybody. And each feeling, each emotion has its own quality, has its own feeling, quite distinct, which is the same in each person. So it can be very helpful to shift the language rather than saying, I am angry. I am an angry person. We can just say, this is anger. This is anger coming into this body, into this mind. And it has a way of depersonalizing it, so it's not so much mine, and it's not my fault and my responsibility. It's anger has come. It's one of the conditions, one of the the, uh, conditions that's arising based on past causes because of something that happened. It triggered this feeling, it triggered this emotion. Looking in this way is not denial. It's not that we're saying, oh, it's not mine, and we separate ourselves and and fragment ourselves off. But what it more does is it actually allows for us to stay with it. We're not as threatened by it, not as fearful of it. It's just anger. It's just sadness. It's just grief. And there's that less identification, there's less personalizing of that emotion. And the less identified we are with what arises in our mind and body, it means we are more allowing and more accepting, less threatened, less fearful. And when we are able to be more accepting and more allowing, there's not the struggle and we have the capacity to be more aware. 
and more present. And then we can be aware of these changing conditions because we're not as caught up in the storylines, in the fear, in the emotions. We can see the changing element that what we had identified as permanent is impermanent. We can be more aware of the unsatisfactory nature of things and see that what we had taken to be fulfilling and gratifying is unsatisfying. It's not as fulfilling as we had thought. And we can be aware that what's happening is not referring back to a permanent self that what I identified as me is not me. How could it be me when it sometimes just stays for such a short time and then it's gone? It just reminded me of when when a um, friend of mine was cutting their toenails and my partner asked the person after the toenails fell off, are those you, were those, are they still you? Are they still part of you? <laughs> you know, um, I mean, sometimes we don't really, you know, think so much like that. We think, yeah, those are my toenails. But are they my toenails? <laughs> They're lying on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> so what we see in ourselves when we can disidentify and depersonalize just a little bit more becomes less threatening because the sense of I to whom they were threatening is weakened. This sense of I is weakened. So the whole thing just becomes less fearful, less threatening, and we can start to allow more experience in. We can start to allow ourselves to feel more than we've ever felt before because this sense of I is not putting a lid on It's not covering over or hiding from what's arising in the mind, the emotions that come in the body. And we have a much bigger capacity to stay with our experience. And so this is how we begin to change our relationship to what's happening. We start to be more allowing, more accepting, because we see the the fleeting nature of things and the more the impersonal nature of this mind-body content. But in order to change the relationship to our difficult experiences, we first must know that they're there. We, we have to start somewhere. We have to acknowledge and, and say, yes, this is happening. We have to bring the attention back and really be willing to feel and face what's happening within us. Because if we don't see the suffering, if we don't really see how much pain we're in, then we stay locked into that suffering. And if we stay locked into the suffering, then this unconsciously conditions how we are and how we feel. And we don't really understand why we're feeling the way we're feeling. Because we haven't really seen it yet. So when painful mental, emotional, or physical experience becomes strong 
and then we turn our attention towards it with acceptance, we can actually feel a kind of relief. Because we've allowed the discomfort to come into consciousness and wash through. We're not holding on to it and we're not afraid of it. We're just allowing it to come in and wash through. So it arises and then it passes through. And we can feel that relief. The experience becomes somewhat like water. We can start to feel that sense of the fluidity of change and experience as it washes through us. And we're relating more with openness rather than with fear and delusion. Last summer I had a difficult period and it actually is partly what gave rise to some reflection for me about this whole process of identification. I was on a, a ranch. I was on um, a beautiful ranch in New Mexico in the southwestern part of America. And I was there for a bit of time because my partner had a job as a cook and I was spending some time with him since our life, my lifestyle sometimes uh, doesn't allow us to be together as much as we'd like. And so this was a very beautiful place in the mountains in, um, near Taos, New Mexico, if some of you are familiar with that. A very pristine environment. The land had been bought nearly a hundred years ago and protected. So there were some very, very old trees. The, the land had never been logged, never been grazed by any animals. And so the meadows were just lush with wildflowers and varieties of grasses. And there's a very sparkling river rushing through between two very tall mountain peaks. And we were staying in summertime, it's very warm in a cabin. So the environment, the conditions were just, you know, you think, well, how could anybody go through a difficult time in a place like that? But as we all know, the, the conditions of the environment doesn't necessarily condition one's mind state. <laughs> we bring a lot with us wherever we go. Well, there were a few factors that conditioned what was going on for me. One, there was a particular person there who I was having quite a difficult relationship with and I wasn't able to resolve it. And also, the fact that I was spending quite a lot of time alone in the nature. And in the the nature, the nature has a way of pulling us in and taking us very deep into ourselves. And sometimes that can be a surprise because we think that if we go deep into ourselves, it's just going to be calm and lovely and blissful. And sometimes we're not prepared for where the nature actually pulls us, you know, which is into some of the more difficult places within ourselves. Well, for me, particularly being in nature, which I don't spend a lot of time in long periods in nature, it can be very challenging, especially being out Uh, farther away alone in the mountains or walking over rushing rivers and you know feeling very vulnerable in the face of nature and what was coming up for me based on all these different situations was I was starting to feel different waves at different times of fear and insecurity in myself 
And I was actually quite surprised how strong those waves were. And so it gave me an opportunity to really look at what, what is this identification? What, what does it mean to be identified with these mind states? And what I actually saw in myself was that if I did allow myself to be identified with these waves of fear and insecurity, that they, they could be so overpowering that they could create a filter on my mind and make me believe that that's who I was, that I was really down deep, this very fearful and insecure person. If I just allowed myself to grab on to those waves, those times that I was feeling that strongly, there's a whole self-image that could have developed around that, that that's who I was. And the whole other aspect, all my other positive qualities and all the other totality of who I was could just get overwhelmed by it. And I could really see the potential for that to happen. You know, just there teetering on it. Is this who I am? Is this all of who I am? I could imagine the kind of these thoughts that I, I could have. I'm really so insecure, I really need to go into therapy. If I really want to function as a whole person in my life, then I need to go into therapy. You know, these waves are so strong. But I, then I just saw them. They're just passing waves. I didn't need to do anything about it. I could just feel it, acknowledge it, and see that it passes. And I saw the truth was that when I held it in this way, they left no residue. They left no residue of any fixed image about myself, or who I was, or what I had to do about it. They were just, they just washed through like water. They were conditions that arose based on certain a certain situation that was occurring. It had its time, and then it passed. It washed through. And because I didn't identify with it as me, as who I was, it passed. It left nothing. It was finished. And what I was left with was deep gratitude and deep appreciation for what I've learned through my years of practice and my years of teaching, that this identification with the mind and body had been weakened, that I felt stable and I felt strong in myself, even in the face of those waves. There's a lovely poem that, that mentions this. It's by Uzumi Shikubi, a Japanese nun from the 10th century. Although the wind blows terribly here, the moonlight also leaks between the roof planks of this ruined house. Although the wind blows terribly here, the moonlight also leaks between the roof planks of this ruined house. can't forget the moonlight. <laughs> we get so caught up with the wind, <laughs> we forget that the moon is shining, the stars are shining, 
And I think we also forget that as we open on the spiritual journey, as our capacity for awareness increases, more can arise, more can surface. Because, as I said, the eye is not putting the lid on. It's not hiding. It's not repressing. So actually, more is revealed. More shows itself. And we actually have a greater capacity to be with difficult mind states and emotions. And this is actually very important to reflect on. Because what happens, and I've heard this from many people, without reflecting on this, is they see more and more difficulty going on and then they don't understand why when they've been doing so much practice <laughs> and so much metta and they're, and they're actually feeling much more difficult in themselves and then they start judging themselves as becoming weaker where in fact they've actually become stronger. People, have, people who have done a lot of practice have more capacity to hold the difficulty. So when the space gets bigger, then more can fill it. It's in a way, we, we might be able to say, we're burning up our karma faster because there's a bigger space. When we're very narrow and contracted and tight and we don't allow things to come, they can't be released. They don't, there's nowhere for them to go. We're kind of all bottling it up and, and hiding it inside. But once we start to open, the space gets bigger and, and then... The, the, the space gets filled <laughs> and the space gets even bigger and it keeps getting filled and we're really in a purification process we're purifying because we've gotten stronger because we have a greater capacity within ourselves so we may feel strong waves of fear and insecurity and despair and loneliness and anger but something else in us remains strong and stable. And that's the wisdom. The wisdom sees that these mind states are not me. They're not who I am. The awareness has a, great, has a greater capacity to operate. The impersonal, non-interfering awareness that allows all these thoughts and feelings and sensations and images to, to, to wash through without being hindered, without being blocked, without being grasped or held onto. Just passing impersonal phenomenon, or as one teacher loves to say, empty phenomenon rolling on. Just empty phenomenon rolling on. And we're not shaken. More and more we're less shaken by what we see in ourselves. And then that gives us even more confidence to go deeper. And we have more balance so that more can be seen. It's not an easy road. (laughs) The other night I read a little passage of a transcription of Ajahn Sumedho, the abbot at Amarati Monastery here in England. And um, this is also from the same 
book of transcriptions. He says, Now we're sitting in a room full of comic formations that we conceive to be permanent personalities. We carry these around like a conceptions bag because on the conventional level of thoughts we regard each other as permanent personalities. How many things do you carry around with you? Grudges against people, infatuations, fears, and things of the past. We can get upset just by thinking of the name of someone who has caused us suffering. How dare they do that, treat me like that, over something that happened maybe 20 years ago. Some people spend most of their lives carrying grudges around so that they ruin the rest of their lives. But as meditators, we break through the pattern of memory. Instead of remembering people and making them real, we see that in the moment, memory and bitterness are changing conditions. We see that they are anicca, anatta, dukkha. They are formed in time, just like the sand grains of the Ganges River. Whether they are beautiful, ugly, black or white, sand grains is all they are. So listen inwardly. Recognize and let things come and go. These are just comic conditions changing, so don't interfere. The tendency of the modern mind is to think that there's some ogre lurking way down deep inside, just waiting for an unguarded moment to overwhelm you and drive you permanently insane. Some people actually live their whole lives with that kind of fear, and every time the monster starts to come up, uh-oh. But monsters are just another mind moment, another grain of sand of the Ganges River. Maybe an ugly sand grain, but that's all. If you're going to get upset every time you see an ugly sand grain, you're going to find life increasingly more difficult. Sometimes we have to accept the fact that some sand grains are ugly. Let them be ugly. Don't get upset. Even a really ugly sand grain is just a sand grain. So over the years of practice, I could see this, this last summer that I really had learned how to work with these difficult waves. Because our practice teaches us many skillful ways to work with ourselves. And that summer I had seen many different ways and different ways that spontaneously arose for me. And one of them was the nature. Using the nature. The nature is so powerful as a teacher as something that can hold us, something that can embrace us. And allowing ourselves to be out in nature when we're feeling some difficult times or having a hard time in ourselves, it can be an amazing release of that difficulty and that sense of narrowness and tightness and contraction and how we take it all so personally. The nature can open up the space for us and just make it much bigger, not so small anymore. 
It's a lovely poem by Wendell Berry. It talks about the beauty of nature. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world, and I'm free. Nature gives us this possibility just to let go a little bit, let nature hold it for us. And sometimes we may need to use the skillful means of gentle distraction, you know, just gently distracting ourselves from ourselves, you know. But we say it's skillful. You know, it's not, we're not repressing, we're not cutting off from ourselves. We're saying, no, I don't need to indulge in this right now. I need a break, I need some space. And whether that's taking a walk and looking at the flowers and the buds on the tree in the early spring, listening to the birds, or whether it's doing something more like painting or writing, something to help us move out of ourselves a little bit. These are skillful ways of working with the difficulties. And the practice teaches us how to feel, how to come back into ourselves when we want to alienate from ourselves or fragment, separate. Really how to come back and feel what's happening with love and with an embrace of kindness and holding ourselves with tenderness like the mother holds the baby when it's crying. And we can learn how to feel to go deeply into the sensations and the feelings in our body in a skillful way, in a tender way, in a way that allows the difficulty to wash through so that we're not interfering. Sometimes we may need to talk with somebody, somebody who can listen to us. And this is also a skillful way of working with something that may be too much, too big for us to hold, or too confusing for us to to figure out. And if there's somebody there, we're really very fortunate. We're very lucky to have a spiritual friend or a guide who we can talk to, or somebody who will listen to us, and somebody that we can go and ask for help. This is a skillful way of working And also we learn metta. We learn the practice of directing loving-kindness back towards ourselves and wishing for happiness and allowing those feelings of happiness and goodwill to flow. We learn this skillful way of working and feeling again this tenderness towards ourselves. All of this is, is our skillful means 
ways that we learn over time that begin to arise more and more automatically, more and more spontaneously, and become more of who we are and how we operate in the world. And as we continue these practices, continue these skillful means, more and more it weakens the support for this solid construction of I, this construction of beliefs and images and ideas and pictures of who we take ourselves to be. It begins to weaken the support which holds this solid belief in separation and self and other it all starts to wither, starts to collapse. And eventually, it collapses all together. And we have a direct experience of there being no more of a sense of self and other. But rather, it's just the flow of changing events. We experience what we might say is entering the stream of life, entering the river of life. And there's no more power for the mind to reconstruct its old beliefs and take them as real. There's no more power in the mind for this to happen that's been completely exhausted through the wisdom, through the seeing. And we know this without a doubt. We know absolutely what's true, that all that arises in the mind, in the body, are just like waves on a vast ocean, appearing and disappearing, appearing and disappearing, and there's no longer anywhere for them to stick. There's no more glue for the duality to take hold. It's finished. But this has its own process. It takes its own time. We can't force it. We can't change it. We are nature, and we're governed by the laws of nature. And everything in nature has its own time. It has its own rhythm. The sun rises in the morning, and it sets in the evening, and the moon appears at night. The seasons change and the flowers bloom when it's warm and they die when it gets cold. Everything happens in its own time. So as much as we can, we have to let go of our agendas, let go of how we would like our journeys to unfold. If we want to fill a bucket of water, All we have to do is just fill it with one drop at a time. And even though it may seem like a drop isn't very much in the moment, eventually the bucket's going to be filled. Just one drop, another drop, another drop. Each drop is significant. And as we let go and surrender our ideas and our beliefs and our demands of how we want things to happen, It's in this letting go and in this surrender that we cultivate patience and respect and metta and trust. Trust for this delicate process 
to unfold. It seems that all we really need is to have the intention, to have the intention for transformation. Because it seems that without the intention, then nothing's going to happen. I mean, we can see millions and millions of people out there who have absolutely no intention for any self-transformation. So it seems that there does need to be that flame, that flame to want transformation to happen, to want this, this blossoming to take place. But the intention is the flame that burns inside. It's the flame for, the flame that, that fuels the desire for freedom and liberation. And all we have to do is nurture this flame, give this flame some fuel. Just keep this nurtured, and this flame will be the light that guides us along our way. There's nothing else we have to do. Just keep nurturing that as we go along. Keep it alive in us. Let's sit for a few minutes together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.